Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for always listening and tuning in. And as you guys know, we typically do a review of the week. This week, I thought I'd share a quick story and a uh, text message that I got. If you guys are part of the Journey of the Christian Dad Facebook community, I shared a little thing where my daughters were actually physically fighting, and it was pretty ugly. It was about a 20-second drag-out brawl, and I shared it just to share that life isn't always perfect. You know, you may listen to the podcast and think, oh, Dan's got a great life or whatever, and things are always perfect in his world. Well, I can assure you they're not. And that little video clip I put out there is just to say things aren't perfect. And uh, I kind of left it at that. I didn't put any teaching behind it. And one of the guys jumps in is like, I'm appalled and I can't believe this. And I can't believe you say you're the Christian leader of your home. And, you know, what kind of example are you? And kind of went on and on and on and convicted me of encouraging sin in my house. And I was like, wow, this is great. He's not asking questions, not seeking to understand, not understanding that I'm on the same team and not encouraging, you know, and uh, in encouragement, it could be uh, asking a few questions to help me see the light. And uh, quite a few guys sent me messages, but this one was a really, really cool one. Everybody said, hey, man, thanks for sharing real life. But uh, this text came from Brian Young, the author of Thriving Girl Dad. So pretty cool book. Uh, He's been on the podcast in the past, but uh, the text message came in. Hey, brother, I want to affirm you on posting the video of your daughter's fighting and the humble but direct response to the guy who was appalled. So (laughs) thank you, Brian Young. I appreciate that text message. It's nice to be encouraged by other guys that are on the same mission and uh, locking arms with guys that are on the same Christian team. So we're all here to glorify Christ and uh, help others grow their relationship with him. So today I'm so, so excited because we have got a guy who is absolutely on a mission. He wrote the book, Man in the Mirror, a book that took me a long time to find and discover. I don't know why it was difficult for me as I was looking for great resources, but once I found it, I found an unbelievable community of guys that are following this mission. And uh, man, it seems like it's just picking up steam. And shortly after I read the book a couple of times, He comes to St. Louis and I got to meet, as he introduced himself, Pat Morley, even though the book title is Patrick Morley. So welcome. I'm so excited literally to have you on the show with us today, Pat. Welcome. Thank you, Dan. It's really a pleasure to be with you. It was such an honor to meet you. I'm so excited about your ministry, Uh, the idea of having an opportunity to jump in a little bit and uh, make a cameo appearance. It's a real privilege for me. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're and, welcome. You're welcome. welcome. And greetings to all the guys that are listening. Yes. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you. As I read your book, I thought, wow, this is like almost every man's story that I know, like sub out commercial real estate for whatever industry that they're in. And this kind of seems like the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, and maybe the 80s. You know, guys, some of them start to ask some questions, but some of them don't. Some of them end up, you know, later in life and you know, or some guys, you know, get their lives cut short and they don't get a chance to ask some of these pretty important questions. So how did that kind of play out in your life? Yeah. Well, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I know you wrote a, a whole book on this, but uh, yeah, I've written 22 books and they're basically all the same message. Uh, hey, this thing, this story really starts for me in 1926 when my father was two years of age. Now, that sounds like it's going to be a long story, so I, I, but I can <laughs> make it pretty brief. So when my dad was two years of age, the youngest of four children, his father abandoned the family. So my dad grew up in a home with a single mom. She, she did the best she could, but they were extremely poor. Dad had to go to work when he was six years of age, had two jobs. He worked with his older brother 
They got up at 3 a.m., worked on a bread truck, and then had a paper out, had a permanent tardy slip to school. And so my dad, when had, obviously had a great work ethic, right? But when he became a man, he had to decide, would he be uh, a man who would repeat the cycle or break the cycle? Now, obviously, they didn't have that language form back then. But you can be, imagine how grateful I am that my dad wanted to take a different path. But he had a problem. He had never felt the scratch of his father's whiskers. He had never heard his father reading him a bedtime story with a soothing voice. He had never tossed a ball in the backyard. He'd never had his hair tussled and had his dad wrestle him to the ground. He'd never heard a truck door in the driveway shutting uh, loudly, signaling that his father was about to reenter the family orbit. And so essentially what it meant to be a godly man, husband and father was unexampled to him. And so he was left to guess at how to be a husband to my mom and a father to me and my three younger brothers. I'm the oldest of four. Dad knew he needed help. So, and he and mom knew they needed to get some spiritual and uh, moral training for their children. So they uh, took us to church. The church we attended, however, really didn't have any vision for helping my dad. Didn't really understand, you know, when, when this young father, my dad, brought his wife and little tykes uh, behind him, trailing behind him, and uh, reached out for the front door handle of that church. Nobody in, that, in our church, apparently, had ever asked the question, you know, when a young man does that, why did he just do that? You know, what are the problems that he's trying to solve? What does he need from us? And how can we give it to him? Those four questions are essential, I think. However, the church we were part of had a vision to do work. And so my dad, with this strong work ethic, I think he must have thought this is what it means to be a good Christian man. And so he responded. By the time he was 40 years of age, he was the head layman in the church. I was in the 10th grade. My youngest brother was in the third grade. Something happened. My dad just got burned out because he was giving, but he was not receiving. And the things that he really needed in his life were still unfulfilled. And so he got burned out. We left the church. I quit high school in the middle of my senior year. My next brother followed in my footsteps. He eventually died of a heroin overdose. My next brother has never, never held a job for more than six months until he turned 50 when he became a believer. And my youngest brother is a recovering alcoholic and divorced. And my dad just never saw it coming. And so the reason that I'm so passionate about helping men is because, well, uh, because I've been conquered by grace. Uh, <laughs> I was a young rebel. I, I met this woman. Her name is Patsy. We've been married for 48 years, and I wanted to spend my life with her. She was a believer in Jesus. I didn't know exactly what that meant. I thought I was a Christian. I'd grown up in a church home. And so I assumed that, you know, I'm an American. Of course, I'm a Christian, you know, that kind of a thing. And so I basically, uh, as a salesman myself, uh, realizing my answers, uh, the love of my life were not satisfying her, I decided to uh, lie and just, you know, tell her whatever she wanted to hear because I wanted to spend my life with her. And I think she wanted to be tricked as well because she liked me. And But it was very clear that we had an ambiguity of terms about what I meant to be a follower of Christ. And uh, so anyway, eventually my wife is the one who led me to Jesus. It's taken quite a number of uh, decades to get all of this sorted out. The, the book, The Man in the Mirror, uh, which is the first of my, my books, really is the culmination of that early journey to sort out the purpose and meaning of life. And that's my mission in life is to help other men find the purpose and meaning of life in Christ, through Christ. You mentioned it took a while to sort through, through this stuff. And that's 
why the title's the journey of a Christian dad, because yeah, it's not snap your fingers and you can flip a switch and everything's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've written before, and I think it's true that most of the really big ideas in Christianity take 15 or 20 years to sink in, whether it's the idea of grace. Uh, that one took me 14 years. <laughs> uh, I remember, you know, I, I knew that I'd been saved by grace, but I didn't really understand what that was. I was in the middle of a business crisis one time and of my own making, I might add. And I was just helping, I was just reminding God of all the, the, all the reasons why he should help me. You know, God, you know how I've been trying to be a, a, a godly man. You know how I've been investing in my kids. Uh, unlike, you know, my grandfather, Lord, you know, I've been seeking to be, uh, you know, a godly husband. You know how I've been a man of integrity. You know how I've tried to be a good steward with the resources that you've entrusted me. You know how many little old ladies I've helped across the street. You know, all of these things, Lord, you know, and I just, I just need some help. So, Dan, what was I doing? Well, I was rehearsing all of the performance that would merit a reward from God, right? Well, that's the opposite of grace. And, uh, but I still didn't understand that. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said this, he said, Pat, nothing you could do will ever make you good enough for me to love you. I love you because I made you. Hmm. And that was the moment that grace, the, the knowledge of grace moved from just head understanding to, to heart understanding. That was 14 years. So like I say, most of these really big ideas, they take a while to sink in. And, uh, you know, we just have to go with it, be relaxed about that, understand that God is sovereignly orchestrating all of these things, and we can trust him. When you say God spoke to you, when I talk to guys, a lot of times they say, what does that mean? How does that sound? What was that like? And there's many, many different ways. But yeah. that day, what was that, that day like? Yeah, so it's a continuum, right? So sometimes you have these mild impressions, you know, that the Lord is leading you away. Sometimes it's reading a scripture that you perhaps have read before, but this particular day, because of the existential situation in which you find yourself, God brings that to life and, and just sears it right into, right into your heart and mind. Uh, on, other, uh, on occasion, some men actually and women actually have heard an audible voice. For me, this particular occasion was an inaudible voice that was clearly distinct from my own thoughts. It was put it was it was something put upon me. It was not like a me, it was not like self-talk, but it was something distinct, inaudible, but it might as well have been audible because the words were so clear in my mind and I wrote it down. Wow, what a great point. When you hear the voice write it down, record it. Cause you'll, you'll forget the exact words. It won't the exact words. And actually you may have to work for a few minutes to get the words exactly like you heard them. I've had another occasion where I uh, had the Lord speak to me uh, in the same powerful way. Uh, and uh, I was in the car and I started bawling and I was driving down the road bawling like a baby. And uh, done that, and I, I was so bleary-eyed, I'm not even sure how I made it home. But when I got in the driveway, I stopped and pulled out a piece of paper, and I worked on that little sentence that he, he gave me, my calling. I, I worked on that until I had it exactly the way that I uh, remembered it, or at least think I remembered it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So if we can back up, you mentioned your brother died of heroin. Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. So he was a, he was a uh, troubled kid. A mixed up kid and uh, he he joined the army he ended up in uh, vietnam and sort of despaired of all the evil that he was very sensitive despaired of all the evil that he saw that men were capable of committing on each other so he came uh, back and when first time i saw him his face was twitching he couldn't maintain eye contact so now today we we know that he would have had P pts right but that was not a big thing at the time. About uh, a few years later, he ended up becoming a commercial fisherman in Aransas Pass, Texas. <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, uh, that's a good move. Not long after he came back, 
getting the story a little out of sequence here, but not long after he came back, uh, God allowed me the privilege of introducing him to Jesus and he embraced Jesus, but he was really still psychologically damaged goods. And so uh, one, one time in Aranzas Pass, he uh, had been out for a couple weeks with his mates. They invited him down to a local bar. He apparently had been doing drugs, but also started drinking, passed out, fell on the floor, started turning blue. And his friends, in quote, picked him up like some frumpy, oversized rag doll and carried him into the back room. And even though he was turning blue, they just laid him on the floor and walked away and he never regained consciousness. Mm. Sad story. Pretty sad story. However, three months before uh, his death, I saw him at a family reunion. And he was joking around with some of our cousins that I went over. And uh, when the time was right, I said, that, well, how's it going on your spiritual journey? He got very serious. And he said, well, Pat, I want you to know I still believe, but you need to know it's really hard for me. So he, uh, he died in the faith as a, as a drug addict. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Oh, I got tears in my eyes just thinking about that and how difficult that would be uh losing a brother yeah driving him to the methadone clinic and meeting with uh you know his counselor at our house we had his counselor over our house for dinner you know and all the things we tried to to help him but you know he, he was precious in his sight is the death of his i might have that wrong uh Anyway, the uh, the Lord delights uh, the Lord delights in the death of His precious ones, and so I believe it was a, a reward, almost. I, or I I shouldn't say I believe, but I hope. You know, I don't believe. Yeah. But I hope it was a that God spared him a life of uh, sorrow. And, and just think about it right now. My brother, his name is Robert. Do you think Robert would want to come back? You know. Oh no. <laughs> I don't think so. I think he's the lucky one. So, yeah, I get, uh, especially get some tears because a few months back, my brother sent me a series of text messages and I recorded a podcast a day where I wasn't sure if he was alive or dead. I didn't receive a message or a phone call to say, Hey, he woke up this morning. And that takes me right back to that time a few months ago where I had been texting with him because he couldn't talk. He had COVID and couldn't breathe. So I was, and I thought, oh my gosh, if he really might be leaving this earth, I've got a limited window of time to make for sure that he's saved, or at least my part. I, I don't want a guilty conscience of not letting those closest to me, not having Mike. I, I know I've talked to him. I know I've talked to him, but I might keep talking to him, you know? For sure. Absolutely. So, well, uh, is he okay now then? Yes. Yes. Thankfully, he's okay now. Thankfully things turned and uh, the right medications and different things. But that instance made it very, very clear that even though we've got plenty of years till we turn a hundred and die, that might not be the case. We might need to change things right away because the, the next day is not guaranteed. Yeah. You just never know. I, I do think this though, Dan, uh, the sovereignty of God is my greatest comfort in life. God is in control. God is not up in heaven wringing his hands about this pandemic. God is not up in heaven saying, oops, I didn't see that one coming, you know. <laughs> so I do believe that based on my understanding of scriptures, and I, you know, I, I do have a seminary degree, among other things. I do believe on, based on my understanding of scripture that God is not going to lose anyone from his kingdom because some human forgot to, neglected to, or was afraid to share their faith with that person. God will find a way. Yeah. Mm. So I would love to pray for your brother too. Is it, I mean, I don't know if it's appropriate to say his first name on air or not. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. What is it? Mike. Mike. So father, just in the name of Jesus, we, uh, we lift up Mike to you. You uh, created him in his mother's womb. You've given him this wonderful brother. Father, would you reach down from heaven and release 
your Holy Spirit in his heart to draw him, to drag him to Jesus. We ask this in your name, Lord, and for your glory and no other reason. Amen. Uh, amen. Uh, thank you. Yeah. 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 I still got one of those myself. Who's a, you know, hold out. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I, I pray for every day, every morning, mm. every day, every morning. So, oh, that's so powerful when another guy just stops and prays with another guy. So thank you so much. I appreciate that uh, kind of leadership. So guys, if you feel that urge that compeller see the opportunity um even though you might be afraid to do it just do it try it out once and for those of the guys that do it all the time congratulations way to way to lead the way well said dan well said so man in the mirror guys we got problems what are our problems what are the ones you hear all the time <laughs> well they're all over the board. I, my favorite thing to do is to meet with men one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. I've literally met, and you can look at the color of my hair, and <laughs> you know, this is, has at least the potential to be true, but it is true. I've literally met with thousands of men in one-on-one -on -one situations, two, three, sometimes four and five guys a week, or you know, since the early 70s, so <laughs> a lot of guys. And when men try to put into words what they feel like is you know holding them back there are a few things that sort of bubble up to the surface uh, let me describe the seven inner aches and pain i'm a, in addition to being uh, a seminary graduate i'm a <laughs> i have a phd in leadership and organizational change so i'm, I'm really <laughs> interested in taxonomies and you know and organizing things <laughs> so, I, I like to look at a situation and glean the principles and develop systems. So anyway, everything I everything I do, I, I drive people, I drive my wife nuts anyway. My wife said to me one day, she said, I sure do hope they have numbers in heaven. I said, why is that? She said, well, because if they don't, you're not going to be very happy there. <laughs> <laughs> but these are seven inner aches and pains that I hear repeated uh, a lot. They're they're, these are also the foundation for my book, Man Alive, uh, but I'll give them to you. It's, you don't need to get the book. I'll just give them to you. Number one is, is a guy will say, you know, I just feel like I'm in this alone. Number two, I don't feel like God cares about me personally. Not really. Number three, I don't feel like my life has a purpose. Things feel random. Number four, I have these destructive behaviors that keep dragging me back down. Number five, my soul feels dry. Number six, my most important relationships, they're not very healthy, not really. And particularly with the wife and kids. And then finally, you know, I, I just don't really feel like I'm doing anything that's going to make a difference and leave the world a better place. So one or more of those seven things, I would say, are the, uh, the, real, the real issues. Uh, and then they show up in you know, work, family, time management, money, decision-making, things like that, emotions. <laughs> I've got a book over here that I haven't read in a while by a Harvard doctor. And uh, he points out that most men are so emotionally impaired. He said 80% of men are so emotionally impaired that not only are they not able to process their emotions, they're not even aware that they have them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now I think he's overstating the case or it's a uh, hyperbole, but anyway, there's a certainly a kernel of truth in that. Yeah. 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 It took me, uh, took me quite a while to, you know, learn some emotions outside of uh, happy, sad, angry. Yeah. 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 Or, or to understand where those emotions are coming from and then, how to process them in a, in a mature way. Yeah. 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 That was, that was a journey in and of itself. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? There's more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd wow. seen the words, but I didn't get them. Yeah. So guys, if you're out there, you know, and you're thinking, you know, why am I always so pent up? Why am I always like a volcano ready to erupt? Well, guys, there are reasons for that. 
And you can be healed of that. It doesn't have to be that way. That was me. I know that was me as a young man. I was just walking around and it's just so filled with rage. I mean, I was able to control it most of the time, right? But then when I when I would blow up, want to blow off some steam, who did I do that with? Guys. Well, I did with my new wife, right? So one day, uh, and Dan has actually heard this story already, uh, but one day I was ranting and raving around the house and trying to give find words to express this angst, this amorphous pain that was sort of eating away at the lining of my gut. And I was saying things to a woman that a man should never say, and she was just sitting there, you know, taking it. Uh, but she did have these tears rolling down her face. And when I looked at her, I was transfixed. I couldn't look away. And after she held my gaze for what seemed like a brief eternity, she asked me this question. She said, Pat, is there anything about me that you like? Wow. And, you know, I felt like I'd been tasered. So I wandered off to the office for the rest of the morning. I just sat there and stared out the window and said, you know, Morley, you know, what happened to you? You wanted your life to count to make a difference, but you're just really a nobody headed nowhere. And it was true. And that was really the that was the point at which I, I knew that I needed, I really needed help. And that's, that's when uh, I was introduced to some men at uh, a church. I said to my wife, let's go to church. We did and met some young guys there who um, had pondered before I got there, the questions that had not been pondered when my father arrived uh, in the same way at a church. They had asked the questions, you know, when a young man uh, walks up to the front door of our church and reaches out his hand, you know, why did he just do that? What are the problems he's trying to solve? What does he need from us and how can we give it to him? And uh, they were ready. They were like, uh, now they were meek, mild-mannered, you know, no, or, ordinary business people and medical people and IT people, all that. But <laughs> they acted like they were these uh, highly trained special forces, covert black ops, you know, secret mission type people. They they were definitely on a mission. They they knew what uh, they knew who I was, not not specifically, but they knew generally who I was and what I needed. And man, did they move! And they took me under their wing and showed me the ropes, and uh, really helped me be, uh, understand what it meant to be a Christian, at least in the early stages of of conversion. Oh, that's fantastic. It seems like such a simple question. What does it mean to be a man? I just want to be a man. I just want to be a man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a simple question. Uh, I uh, just did a talk on uh, identity uh, at our Friday morning Bible study. And uh, we, but that's on YouTube. You were, we were talking about YouTube before we go in there. You're on YouTube. We are too. Man, there are Bible studies on YouTube. And in fact, I think it got posted up on the, uh, on the internet. So the title of the talk is Identity, the five things you get to say about yourself. And what I did was, is I helped the guys think through what, what does your t-shirt say? You get to put five things on your t-shirt. All right. I like it. Yeah. And so the first thing is something about your faith. You can say it any way you want, but this is, this, these are the five biggest, there's more to identity than just these five things, but I think these are five of the biggest chunkiest things number one is you know something about your faith something about your roles uh, something about your relationships something about your attributes and something about your mission to me those are the big chunky things yeah those are great about what i mean you know if you answer those questions you know and a spiritual guy will want to come up with answers that are guided by the word of God and by good counsel from other Christian brothers and the preaching of the word that he's heard uh, along the way or teaching and not to mention, you know, circumstances and counsel and the, the spirit of God, which we've already mentioned as well. And prayer. I was talking to a younger guy a while back. He was say 23 
and he all fired up and he says, I'm starting this Bible study. I said, oh, that's great. Tell me, tell me more about it. It's like, it's going to be a bunch of other 23 year old guys. Yeah. More or less. Okay, great. What else? Well, we're just going to open the Bible. We're just going to get after it. That sounds great. What else? And he looks at me, he says, you mean, how are we going to get people there? You mean, are we going to serve breakfast? You mean, I said, no, I mean, what else? Like, what else is the plan? Who else are you going to invite? And he says, no, that's it. Like the Bible, some guys, you know, that's it. I said, have you considered having somebody outside of that age demographic? Hmm. Why would I do that? Hmm. I said, well, that's interesting in and of itself. He says, are you saying that maybe somebody that's got more experience than me might be able to help? I said, might consider that. You might consider that. He thought about it a little bit. He goes, wow, I got to get some older guys to come to this Bible study. Do you think older guys would be willing to help some younger guys? <laughs> I said, not only are they willing, they're dying to be invited. They're just looking for, you know, they might not be looking, but are looking hard, but the guys are more than willing. And so I always like to talk to guys a little bit further down the road. Uh, so in your book, it talks about men in the 50, men in their 50s, a huge regret they have is not getting to know their kids. And I'll say another regret they have is not getting to know their wife. Yeah. The kids come along and you get busy doing other things. The rat race, if you will, I got to succeed in business so we can get more stuff so I can make my wife happy. And, you know, we got to put the kids in all the schooling and all the elite sports and travel and all that stuff. We got to stay busy. I don't want to miss out on any opportunities. And there's nothing really intrinsically wrong with any of those things, but uh, it's more about work-life balance, right? And this is why younger guys can benefit from older guys. And by the way, I love that the uh, the uh, the humble, sweet, tender way that you led that man through questions to come to his own conclusions. That was that that, that sounded really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, so young men have outward-focused ambition, and they have strength and they have pride. The hope is, is that as we grow older and become more mature, especially spiritually mature, that that outward focused ambition also uh, becomes other focused ambition, you know? So instead of just being focused on the things you're talking about, you know, the, the house, the schools, the labels and so forth, that serving others becomes part of the ambition. And then also that the strength also yields to wisdom. And then also that the pride yields to humility. So the idea of 23-year-old men trying to lead themselves to a place that they've never seen or can't see, is, a, is it's a difficult challenge. At Man in the Mirror, we're working on a program now. We're not ready to launch it yet, but we're, we're getting closer. Uh, to to challenge uh, to 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 raise up ten thousand spiritual fathers to help ten thousand younger men uh, in a, in a relationship in an authentic relationship where a guy can take another guy under his wing and show him the ropes. Crucial, important, critical. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a guy uh, once tell me the story that his best friend in college was the son of an extremely prominent, wealthy, and busy businessman. His roommate died tragically. And at the funeral, uh, at the conclusion of the funeral, uh, his roommate's father came over to me and said, you, you knew my son, Bill, right? He said, yeah, we were roommates and best friends. He said, the father with tears in his eyes, he said, can you tell me a little bit about him? I never really knew him. I never really got to know my son. Mm. Wow. Mm. So just kind of the consequence of uh, going down the track you were talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that one is a tragic track to go down. I can't imagine not. I can understand the challenges guys have with the difficulty of bridging that gap of being able to connect and get to know their children, emotions. And, you know, I've got daughters. I'm not the greatest player with Barbies, but I'm getting better. (laughs) (laughs) 
we 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 have fun with it and but it, it takes a little bit to learn that language that that you know kids speak as in my case especially daughters because i knew i was going to have boys all my life and then i didn't <laughs> yeah so in the, my book the christian man i i gave a, a number of the the best ideas that i did when i was growing up when our kids were growing up of course they're growing up and i have grandkids now but let me just throw out a couple for some of the guys that are on here in case some of the guys are just looking for more absolute practical takeaways. So probably the single best thing I did was, is that I babysat the two kids on Saturday mornings to give my wife some quiet time, some, some private time. And she would go off and, you know, she would do, she would come back with some groceries and things like that, but she would always do a, a couple of hours or something, you know, just for her. So that was really good to spell her. Another thing that I did was I, I watched friends, you know, working evenings and weekends. And so I just, I had the ability to do it because I own my own company, but I, I set a, uh, some boundaries, some guardrails. I never worked beyond six o'clock PM and I never worked weekends. And even when I had one of Florida's 100 largest privately held companies, I still never worked past six o'clock and I never worked weekends. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. And God honored that. And so then uh, on Tuesday nights, I decided I wasn't really getting enough conversation, one-on-one conversation. So we have two children. So every Tuesday night, I would take out one of our children on a date. So we'd go for dinner. We'd go to like a Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. Sometimes uh, with our son, we go then uh, drive go-karts or we go to a, an ice cream store or go to a music store, whatever the, the case was. And really some of the most, probably the only really intensive one-on-one conversations that I really had with our children were on those Tuesday nights. So date your kids. Uh, another idea, you know, put your business or your work appointments in pencil, but put your family appointments in pen. All right. One thing we did, and I don't think every family can do this, but we would eat dinner together regularly, almost every night, the idea of eating in shifts and so forth. I'd read an article once, and I think it's proved to be accurate for us, is that so many of a family's values, so much of the value transfer takes place around the dinner table. And I think that's really true. Then I teach this Bible study that I mentioned. I've been doing that since 1986. And I realized one day that I was doing all this work in preparation for these men, none of whom were going to be crying at my funeral, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And, but then I had these two precious children who uh, would be on the front row and hopefully would be crying at my funeral if I worked it right, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, why not? Uh, start a daily family devotion. So we did that. I started the daily family devotion during the school year, took the summers off and we didn't do it every day, but you know, four out of five days, we'd, we'd do a 15 minute devotion. And I would always make it extremely practical. Some situation that was going on in their world and then a Bible verse that would relate to it. And then we would uh, we would pray and to make it meaningful i said well who's somebody that you know that's having a problem right now that we could pray for otherwise it was like you know the prayers mm-hmm. were oh lord give us a good day you know we love you but so to give it a little more depth and then uh, probably the last idea to share just from a time standpoint we paid our kids to do devotions we paid our kids to read the bible and somebody's listening right now and say, what? You paid your kids to read the Bible? Yeah, I did. So essentially, we said, if you will read your Bible five out of seven days, and you would read the Bible 25 out of 30 days in a month, uh, you don't have to read every day, but if you read 25 out of 30 days in a month, uh, then we will allow you to, to, to buy some music. All right. And they kind of rolled their eyes. Oh, dad. Yeah, sure. That's great. I said, well, that's not all. If uh, you will do that every, every uh, month for 12 months, we'll pay you $500. Now the amount's not important, but 
their eyes got really yeah, big. Yeah, my eyes got big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so bottom line is our kids, when they were growing up, read their Bibles on a regular basis. It was all on a system. They made little charts and put it up, taped it, taped it up to the mirror and then put X's, you know, through the days when they did it. I said, if you miss, if you miss some time, you can make it up. You know, if you can read, if you missed today, you can do two tomorrow. That's fine. And uh, the upshot was, as I was looking for you know, some kind of a consistency in the word. Here's the bottom line, Dan. All of their friends did not read the Bible. They knew that they, it was a good idea, but they, they didn't. Our kids were the only kids among their peers in a Christian school who actually read their Bibles on a regular basis. So you, you men, you decide, you know, maybe it's bribery. Okay. Bottom line is, is that it did make a difference and still making a difference. We, uh, we started doing that here recently. Yeah. My, my oldest daughter's got a, uh, daily devotional. Yeah. So it's a daily devotional for kids. And so she reads it every day yeah. and reminds me, she keeps a tally chart of how much yeah. I owe her. So if I don't Beautiful. pay her on that certain day, so daddy, it's what day is today? You owe me for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Wow. <laughs> You're right. I do. That's you know, good. so, good. so that one's one we do. We do quite a few on the, on the list. Uh, one additional, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast or not, but we, I quiz them after church service. Yeah. And wow. usually it's just one question. And if they don't get it right, sometimes I'll have a backup question, but we have a conversation about the readings or what the service was about, whatever, but doesn't necessarily have to be about that. But afterwards, if they get it right, then I don't care which sister gets it right. I'll pay them both. Wow. So they can work like, uh, is that your final answer kind of a thing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Work with each other. And then they'll ask me questions. They'll try to get hints and, you know, it turns into 10 or 15 minute conversations someday. So I, I really, really love how that one's been working right now. They're nine and seven, soon to be eight, but you're always looking for, or at least I'm always looking for something to keep things moving along as yeah. they get older, their personalities change, things are into change. So I'm trying to always tap into what they're into at that moment. Time for one more. Yeah. This, and this is another, uh, these are all big ideas, but this is the one that probably damaged me the most, the lack of it. And, and, uh, it's to tell your kids, uh, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll set it up with a story. We were at one of our son's basketball games and invited my parents. I was sitting on one end and my wife was the bookend on the other. Uh, I was sitting next to my mom and then my dad and then my wife. I was telling our, uh, my mother as we were watching the game how proud we were of John for the industry that he had shown, the diligence, the perseverance, the determination, the leadership skills that we saw developing in him. And uh, I said, we're just so proud of him in every way. And, and my mother said to no one in particular, now remind, I'll remind everybody, I'm her son and I'm sitting right next to her. And she says to no one in particular, you know, when our four boys were young, I don't think we told them often enough that we were proud of them. And Dan, my head exploded. <laughs> these two incredible thoughts just blowing my brain. And I said, I wanted to see, I didn't say anything. I just sat there, but I wanted to scream. That's right. That's right. You didn't do that. It would have been so easy, mom, to do that. Why didn't you do that? Here I am. I'm in my now in my mid, mid to late thirties. And I, and I, <laughs> I still, uh, don't don't really have a sense that that you that you're proud of me. And then the second thought that came to my mind, Mom, it's not too late. You can tell me now. You can still tell me. So I was literally 47 years of age. I started taking my father to lunch when uh, I turned about 35 on his birthday. And uh, one year when I was 47 years of age, I had just turned 47. It was his birthday, and I wrote on his birthday card among, uh, towards the end. Uh, Dad, I sure hope you're proud of me. Uh, love you, Pat. And uh, he didn't look up. He said, well, you know, I am. 
that was all I ever got. But you you cannot imagine the power of that little phrase, humorous, humorously delivered, I think. Uh, you know, didn't even look up. Uh, well, you know, I am. But it has had yeah. a profound impact on me. That was the first time that I'd ever heard uh, either one of them tell me that they were proud of me. Wow, that's incredible. So here's the here's the idea. Tell your children every day, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I love you. Every day, find a reason to tell every child, I love you and I'm proud of you. It's not without biblical precedent. Uh, when Jesus was being baptized, uh, the, the father spoke and he said, this is my beloved son in whom, whom I am well pleased. In other words, I love him and I'm proud of him. We have a, a biblical model for this. So men, I just uh, would uh, adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ, <laughs> exhort you, tell your children uh, every day, I love you and I'm proud of you. And if they're out of the home, away at college, or even on their own, or alienated and separated, get out your phone, text them, call them preferably, do it now, do it today. I love oh, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, you sound almost like Blake Brewer. Blake Brewer has a legacy letter challenge. He helps men and women write letters to their kids. His mission is to help a million dads write letters to their kids that say, I love you, I believe in you, and I'm proud of you. Yeah, I saw, saw something like uh, that on your website. I didn't know that was the content of the letter, but that is exactly what our children need. Oh, that is. That they're loved and uh, that their parents are proud of them. Yeah, our kids are looking for that. And we're looking for that from our parents. And we're looking for that from God. And we just got to trust that it's in the book. Yeah. So a couple of questions I saw in the book, there's a story there. And a daughter says to, her, to dad, mommy, where does daddy live? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Little shot. And, yeah. and, another, and another question was, daddy, do you still love mommy? Oh, yeah. Right. Just cut you to the core. And if you don't have things you're doing and have intentional answers to that question, if that's an empty spot in your head of, do I still love mommy? Well, of course, what's the evidence? How would she know that you love her? That one's so, so big. I need to retell that story about Sean. uh, And I haven't told that story at our Bible study. I'm going to be talking on work here in the next, next week. And, uh, do you have time to tell it? Yeah, I do. I'll tell it. Let me just write, make a note to myself. Sorry, guys. I'm making a note to myself here. <laughs> so Sean was a young guy in his, uh, let's say, late 20s. And he was very entrepreneurial. And he was very proud. He told me, he said, you know, I, I started a business. I started a trucking company. One truck, me, short haul deliveries around town. He said... And I was very successful, became very successful very quickly. And here's what I found. Soon I was getting up before sunrise and getting home after dark. And I was doing this to create a better life for my wife and my family. That was my, that was my original goal was to create a better life for my wife and my, my kids. And so one evening when he came home, his wife met him at the door. And she said that when she had been putting their child, Sean, to bed that night, the child said, Mommy, uh, where does Daddy live? And they both got a chuckle out of it at first. But then he realized, he said, you know, I've gotten the ends and the means mixed up. Starting this business was supposed to be the means to the ends of creating a better life for my family. But what's happened is, is I've gotten them mixed up. And now my family has basically become the means for me to run this business. And so he said, I decided to make the adjustment. He said, would you believe it took me about three years to get back to a right set of work-life balance? Mm. Guys, if you're, <laughs> if you're out there listening and you've got this work-life balancing uh, mixed up and you think you're doing it for your family, but your family's not seeing as much of you as they really need of you, uh, 
guess what? You're not really doing it for your family anymore. You're just lost. <laughs> yes. Yes. An unexamined life is not worth living. So if you don't have some checkpoints and some times where you pause, reflect and ask questions, you might end up like Sean's dad and uh, just out there lost. One other quick thing I'd like to throw in while you're on is uh, average in dad's interaction with kids, 37 seconds a day. That's yeah. in your book. I've seen that other places as well. Yeah. So that's an average of 2.7 interactions per day for 10 to 15 seconds per day. And in the meantime, kids are getting TV or screen time at least four hours a day, if not eight or 12 hours a day. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So where's the influence on your kids? Yeah, this is why I was talking about dating like your kids, you know, just taking them out for some one-on-one -on -one time. And then also, you know, the, the idea of um, when I was growing up, um, the things, there were lots of good times, lots and lots of good times. Um, not everything was, you know, dysfunctional, although it was dysfunctional. But my, my mom and dad really wanted to do the right thing. You just didn't know how. But it's interesting, the, the vast majority of memories that I have of my childhood are the special things we did together. Uh, surf fishing uh, over in the Atlantic Ocean, not far from where we live now, or dangling crab necks over a bridge and going <laughs> crabbing, you know, or uh, helping my dad dig fence pole holes for uh, fence posts on our little five acre farm uh, when I was growing up you know just so, so interesting doing these little special things just letting just letting your kids tag along to do special things together it really is a it, it, it's it's an amazing uh, impact on me personally and I think probably most kids our kids too now they're, they talk about the things that we did special with them, you know, whatever it was taking them snow skiing or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're getting ready to wrap things up, but any extra thoughts you'd like to add for the guys? And then I always like to ask the guests to throw out a challenge, something guys can do during the week in between the podcasts as they come out. So feel free and anything you'd like to talk about and then. Yeah. So some of your guys it's not easy being a dad it's not easy being a dad especially uh, when you have become a father of teenagers i had a the father of a teenager once uh tell me he said you know having teenagers has really brought out the worst in me <laughs> 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 because they can be moody they can be argumentative they can be rebellious it's a it's quite a challenge to be a good dad, especially these days, there's so many influences uh, on our children that some of them are quite healthy, but a lot of them are not, not that healthy. And you, dad, need to be the one, I think, who is the thermostat in the room, not the thermometer. You need to be the thermostat. Your kids are gonna be up and down like a thermometer. But they're, they're looking for a thermostat. They're looking for someone who has a, a fixed set of values, who is dependable in the, their discipline, doesn't say one thing and do another, a man of integrity, a man of God, who, even though there will be times when our kids are rebuffing us, they are acting like they're totally turned off by what we're saying and what we're doing, they remember these lessons. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are older, they will not turn from it. So fight the good fight and be the dad. So being a good dad is no guarantee that your children will turn out well. But being a bad dad, guys, that's pretty much a guarantee they won't turn out well. There you go. That's such a comforting Bible verse also. Yeah, it is. So have you got a challenge that you, that you can think of that you'd like to throw out to the guys? Well, I think everything that I've been talking about could be taken as a challenge. And so I would 
say in a general way, if I've said something to today that really struck a nerve, let that be your challenge. For example, it could be to tell your children, I love you and I'm proud of you. Or it could be to spell your wife so that she can have a little time away from the kids and you can have a little extra quality time with them. Or it could be dating your kids or it could be doing devotions. Any of those things could possibly be a, a, a good challenge. But if you don't have uh, something that you've been able to pluck out of this particular message, then I would say the, 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 the challenge is to love your wife. I think it was the president of Notre Dame said the most important thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother. And I do think that long-term, the thing that has had the most impact on our children, now my, my children, our children are now, uh, you know, have children of their own. We've got grandkids, five grandkids, and they're all, you know, from whatever in their, uh, you know, from let's just say eight to eight to 14. And I would say that the thing that has had the most impact on our two children is the fact that. I have loved my wife well and still do. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Guys that I interview all the time, we, we haven't necessarily tracked there throughout the uh, recording, the interview, and we get to this part and often, 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 often it's love your wife, whatever the message is, but the theme is love your wife. Isn't that fascinating? Well, I would say that anytime someone thinks they have a unique message from God, they probably don't. Whenever God is getting ready to say something, it's his custom to put that into the hearts and minds of thousands and tens of thousands of his children. So that's a confirmation to me as well that that probably is a good piece of advice. <laughs> Not just probably, absolutely. Treat your wife like she is more precious than ruby and jewels, and you will be rewarded with the greatest gift of all time. Well, I appreciate your time so, so much. This was just awesome. There, I've got so many notes that I've taken, and I hope the guys go back and listen to this one a second and a third time because there's so much goodness in here. In addition, uh, please connect with uh, with Patrick Morley, Man in the Mirror. Check out all of his books. He mentioned, I think, three of them today. He's got 17 or 22 more, something like that. But uh, Man in the Mirror was just so foundational and uh, just spoke to me uh, as just a great, great, and so many good questions in that book, too, to help uh, help you know, examine your life and be more intentional with where you're going. So Thank you for answering the call and examining, asking questions and putting this all into a book so we all can benefit from it as well. Well, Dan, thank you for answering the call as well. Would it be appropriate for me to say a quick prayer for these men? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Our dearest father, Lord, I thank you for uh, every man and woman who will hear ever hear this uh, broadcast, this podcast. And I pray that you would, Father, uh, quicken to their heart the the truth uh, of your scripture and uh, also the wisdom of the day that they uh, would find something that would have an impact on their fatherhood, their family. In Jesus' name we pray. And bless Dan too as he seeks to be faithful in this endeavor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And guys, throw a uh, Apple podcast review, throw a uh, audible review, listen again next week, share it with a friend, jump in, check out, uh, check out Pat's YouTube channel, the man in the mirror Bible study, check out our YouTube channel, whatever, but stand firm in the faith, spread the good news and uh, just keep at it guys. Keep getting better. Keep, uh, keep growing in your relationship with Christ. That's it for this week. Catch you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself. 
be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. Hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others, join us inside of the journey of a Christian dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others, have your buddies join, have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith grow as spiritual leaders of their family as we engage in our journey and be intentional with it we can help others grow theirs as well we thank you again for listening we thank you for all your reviews look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show so dear god thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you in your name we pray amen have fun guys